0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe.
1: Welcome to the Everything USC podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network, the only place with the show for every team in L.A. and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? I'm Nara Wang, and my guest for episode 19 covers USC sports as a rider for Trojans Wire, which is a part of USA Today Sports. And since he's based up in the Pacific Northwest, he's a great person to have on to go over the Pac-12 football championship game. Andy Patton, thanks for coming on the show.
0: Yeah, thanks, Nara. I really appreciate you having me on.
1: And of course, if you enjoy the Everything USC podcast, you can find it wherever you find your favorite podcasts, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn and more, subscribe and rate us. Or go to the website Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media at Believe Podcasts. To connect with me, I'm on Twitter. Find and follow me at Nara Wang Sports. That's N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Andy, let the people know how they can reach out to you and find wherever you do stuff.
0: Yep, yeah, I do lots of stuff. That's for sure. You can find me on Twitter at Andy Patton PNW. That's where most of my content is. Obviously, you mentioned USA Today's Trojans Wire. That's where I write about USC football and basketball. I also host my own radio show at the PNW Sports Radio Show at the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And we do get into some USC stuff there because it's hard to talk about Pac 12 without talking about USC. So they get plenty of run there as well.
1: The Everything USC podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. The football season is in full swing. And while you might not be at the games this year, you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Do you think the Jets will go 0 16? Are the Bengals or Jaguars winning another game this season? If you feel you know the answers, those are just some of the things you can bet on at Bet Online. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there is always the online casino as well, it never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Well, Andy, we'll begin by going over the wild game at the Rose Bowl on Saturday night. In the 90th all-time meeting between the Trojans and Bruins, USC got out to a very sluggish offensive start with an interception on the first drive, followed by a punt, a missed field goal, and then another punt. The defense wasn't much better as two Dorian Thompson-Robinson TD passes gave UCLA a 14-0 lead. It was apparent that the team was lacking juice in the early going, which some might say was due to the lack of a crowd in the Rose Bowl, but they've been playing without fans in the Coliseum, so it shouldn't have been that big a factor. What do you attribute the slow beginning to by SC?
0: Yeah, I think it seems like Chip Kelly just has a way with being able to handle the Trojans. He's doing things differently than he did at Oregon, obviously, but like you kind of knew what they were going to come out with, and USC still didn't seem ready for it, and it's kind of flabbergasting why they weren't ready like I know that UCLA hadn't played a lot of great teams this year and you know they obviously again they don't have the Anthony Thomas and the Marcus Mariota and everybody that they had when Chip was coaching the Ducks but you're still looking at a similar type offense and it seemed like USC was just not ready for what they were bringing and then things really kind of turned around after that obviously they kind of seemed to they got punched in the mouth they seemed unprepared for it for whatever reason I think Maybe there was a lack of juice on their end. Maybe they overlooked them, which would be silly. I don't know why they wouldn't be ready to play, you know, their rival in one of the last games of the season to maintain an undefeated record, but they certainly didn't seem quite ready. It's also, you know, this isn't the first game this year that USC has not seemed ready for their opponent when the game started. They've had slow starts virtually every game this season. This is one of the few where they really they actually came around in the third quarter instead of waiting all the way until the fourth quarter, which was nice. Granted, they still scored 20 of their 43 points in the fourth quarter, so they still did what they do. But it was kind of stunning. Not stunning. It was kind of surprising to see them come out and let Chip Kelly's offense do what they do with you know quick passes out to the running back and some designed running plays for Dorian Thompson-Robinson and just seemed like they weren't quite ready for what was, I thought, a fairly easy-to-predict game plan coming out for the Bruins, and thankfully they were able to kind of get ready and figure it out in the second half and came back and pulled off a really, really fun win.
1: Yeah, it took a big 65-yard touchdown catch by Drake London midway through the second quarter to seemingly wake up the Trojans, and then right after that, on the second play of the next Bruins drive, Isaiah Pulamau gets an interception, and it leads to a field goal that cut the deficit to 14-10. UCLA then would finish off the first half with a second touchdown catch by Dimitri Felton to lead 21-10 at the break. They get the ball to open the second half, 75 yards and seven plays, ending with Britton Brown going in with a 15-yard TD run, and now the Trojans are down 28-10. But they come right back, like you said, finally scoring in the third quarter, two TD passes, one to Tyler Vons, one to Amon Ross St. Brown. After a UCLA fumble on that one, but they make the curious decision to go for a two point conversion after the St. Brown touchdown with four minutes left in the third quarter, and they fail because Slovis just short arms a pass, and it's 28 23. What do you make of that decision to go for two? I hate chasing points that early. I don't think you should be doing that until the fourth quarter. If you can't just kick an extra point, be down four and not expect to at least score another touchdown with 19 minutes left to go in the game, then you're not going to deserve to win anyway.
0: Yeah, I have like kind of mixed feelings on going for two because I think a lot of the time college and NFL teams don't do it enough. However, this was probably not a situation where they needed to do that. I remember thinking like, well, like I always like when teams are a little bit ballsier and try stuff like this, but there didn't seem to be. Like, they were in a better rhythm offensively, but they weren't in a great rhythm offensively, and it didn't feel like... Like, if you have this really monstrous drive and you're just imposing your will on the opposing defense and you think, hey, we can sneak, you know, an extra point out of this, I can kind of get it. But that didn't really feel like the situation. Like you said, 19 minutes left in the game. The defense at that point hadn't proven that they could shut down UCLA. It was kind of strange. I thought it was weird, especially, like, USC's rushing game. It ended up doing well. Malify had a really nice game. But he did a lot of his damage later in the game. If you can't establish the run and you're kind of forced to do like a quick two-yard, five-yard passing attempt, which is not really Slovis's game and not really what they excel at, it was a strange decision. I'm glad it didn't end up biting him too bad. But even, I mean, you look at that final score, it very easily could have. Very easily could have been a problem for them.
1: (laughs) Exactly. And again, that's why I just don't like it in those mm-hmm. situations. I get it if you're further down, then maybe you go for it. But sure. in that situation, you're only going to be down four. You got more than a quarter left to go. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't make sense to me. On the next drive, though, Drake Jackson, the sophomore, stuffed Demetric Felton for a loss on a fourth and one. The Bruins were unable to convert on fourth downs at all in this game. It was around midfield. So they get the ball right back, but Slovis throws his second pick of the game. The Bruins immediately, on the first play, go deep to Greg Dulcich, who just destroyed the Trojans in this one and had a 69-yard touchdown. So they're up 35-23 going into the fourth quarter. And then, like you said, Vivai Malapai turns it up, mm-hmm. and he had a drive where he led the way with five carries, 44 yards, finishing it off with a 10-yard touchdown run to make it 35-30. And then on the ensuing Bruins possession, Talanoa Hufunga appears to have a pick six, but Mm -hmm. the illegal block by Nick Figueroa brings it back, negates the TD. They do get the ball. And thanks to -to back-to-back offside penalties on UCLA, it was third and 10. It became third and five. And then a first down for USC. SC is able to get a nine-yard TD catch to Drake London out of that drive. They have their first lead. At 36-35, 8.09 to go in the game. But of course, they have to at least go for two in that situation again to try and make it a (laughs) three-point game because they had failed earlier and then they fail again. So they're only up one at that point. And the Trojans then again stop UCLA on a fourth and one with 4.18 left to go. But then Malapai is now hurt. Steven Carr is in. He gets two yards on first and second down then a Slovis incompletion, so the three and out, gives UCLA the ball back with a minute 17 to go in the game. They go on a 51-yard seven-play drive and get a Nicholas Barmira 43-yard field goal. 52 seconds left to go. Things looking dire for USC. But then Gary Bryant Jr., the freshman, comes up with the 56-yard kickoff return, gets the ball to the UCLA 43 with 43 seconds to go. Very first play, Slovis goes deep to Tyler Vaughns for 35 yards. Very next play, you're thinking, all right, they're just going to use up some clock and kick a game-winning field goal. Nope. Slovis checks out of a run, throws the ball to Amon Ross St. Brown for the eight-yard TD pass to go up 43-38. After the extra point, which I don't understand why they didn't go for two in this situation (laughs) to try and make it six. Again, don't ask me to explain these two-point conversion attempts by the USC Trojans. I don't get it. So 16 seconds left to go and you're thinking, all right, is it safe? No, it's not safe because the Bruins complete two passes for 33 yards and they're at the SC42 with a chance for a Hail Mary, which thankfully for all Trojan fans does not come through for the Bruins and they escape with the win. And yes, you look at the numbers, Keaton Slovis throws for 344 yards in the five TDs, but he had the two picks in the game. Favai Malapai, 19 carries for the 110 yards and a TD. Like you said, most of that happening in the second half before he got injured and had to leave the game on defense. Talanoa, Hufanga, he loves playing the Bruins, had 18 tackles in last year's game, 17 this year, and the interception for the fourth straight game, which is the first time a Trojans done that since 1996. Sammy Knight, I was a junior at USC when that was going on. (laughs) That's how long it's been. And he also had a forced fumble. Isaiah Polomao had nine tackles, interception, recovered the fumble that Hufanga forced. So in the end, you have these big stats because of the way the game went. But what a stressful game throughout for Trojan fans to be watching. And yes, they come through at the end once again. But it should not have been that difficult, right?
0: No, I think USC is maybe the only team in the country that can outscore a team 20 to three in the fourth quarter and have it feel insanely stressful. (laughs) Like that's just like a weird part of who they are this season and, and really years past too. It's not like this is exclusively part of their season this year, but for them to, you know, have an undefeated record and feel like a team that has been on the verge of losing every one of the games they've played virtually this year, at least at points, it's been a kind of a fascinating season in a lot of ways. I think for USC, it was really nice to see them get the run game going later in the game. That's something that I think if they weren't able to do that, they would have, I mean, there's a lot of things that if they weren't able to do, they probably wouldn't have won this game. But I think that was a really crucial element of it. Malapai's game was so important in that drive where he had, what you said, 44 yards was so huge for them to really kind of force UCLA's defense to stay on the field for a while, which I think helped them out later in the game. It gave USC's defense a little bit of a break ransom clock, which kind of helps, but also sort of didn't help them in the end. I thought that was a huge part of the game that we really haven't seen a lot. I mean, even against Washington State, who was like, you know, not even a top 100 run defense team in in the country, and USC couldn't run against them at all. And granted, they didn't need to. They were able to throw the ball pretty easily in that game and got out to a huge lead early. But it was really nice to see them establish the run in this game. And as somebody who's followed the Seahawks and knows that there's a lot of... negativity towards running instead of passing because that was such a huge issue with that team before the start of this season when they finally quote-unquote let Russ cook and started actually like opening up the offense a little bit but for USC and for the way that this team is Graham Harrell wants to throw the ball a lot and there are ways that that can be really good I mean they scored 43 points in this game but I think they really need to be able to have that presence on the ground and Malapai was so huge in this game for helping them be able to do that and really establish that in the second half and kind of put UCLA behind the sticks throughout the second half.
1: In the end, USC moves to 5-0. and They're now currently ranked 13th in all the polls, the college football playoff, the AP and the coaches polls, number 13 overall in the country. And like I do after every game, I run the Helton Hot Seat Scale poll on Twitter mm-hmm. just to get the pulse of Trojans Nation on how they feel about how hot the seat is for the head coach of USC. And of course, it's ranked by four Chili Peppers, the hottest, the Carolina Reaper, at 2.2 million Scoville Heat units, followed by the Ghost Pepper, a little over a million SHU, then Habanero at 350,000 Scoville units, and finally Cayenne down at 50,000. And this week, we had a three-way tie for the lead. So Carolina Reaper... Ghost Pepper and Habanero each had 26.3% of the vote, Cayenne coming in at 21.1% of the vote. So this is as close a vote as we've seen all season. And to have three of the peppers tie, what do you make of those results that the people are voting in on?
0: Yeah, I believe that I voted Habanero on the poll when I saw it this week. And it kind of depends on whether you're counting like how hot his seat should be, how hot it actually is, because I've kind of talked about this in previous articles that I've written for Trojan's Wire. I really don't think very many coaches across the NCAA are going to lose their jobs because of how wonky and weird this season was and short and, and everything like that. And certainly, obviously, Clay Helton is not going to get fired after an undefeated season. But in terms of just how hot it should be, like the flaws that have been around this program since he's taken over most of them haven't gone away. (laughs) Like This team may have more wins in the win column than usual and obviously don't have any losses, which is incredible. But you're still seeing a team that has some discipline issues, that commits penalties at bad times. I do think that one thing that has helped him at this point is that I believe that Todd Orlando has been a good hire, and I recognize that their defense has given up a lot of points at times and has looked at times quite bad. I mean, even in this game, they gave up 38 points. But I think that they're starting to kind of come together. You saw it in the Washington State game. You saw it in the second half of this game against UCLA. I think that it's a hire that's going to work out if you give him another two years. Even next year, I think it will be better. And so I think that that helps Coach Helton a little bit. But at the end of the day, I don't think that things are magically going to get better. I think that there's a kind of a limit to how good of a coach Clay Helton can be for this Trojans team. And if USC fans and boosters and alumni and so on and so forth want better, which I know that they do because, you know, this is a school that's been, you know, one of the top five teams, you know, for a very, very long time. And they want to get back to that stage. And I don't think that they're going to get there outside of just kind of some luck or some flukiness and other schedules. And so that's kind of why I think that the seat should be hotter than it probably actually is. It's hard to come down on a coach with a record like this, even in such a weird shortened season. But again, I think that there's a limit to how good they can be under Coach Helton, and I know that that's not good enough for a lot of fans out
1: there. Yeah, yeah. I would agree with a lot of what you're saying, and I think you're right. It's just a weird pandemic-shortened year, especially for Mm Pac-12, and it's going to be one of those things where he's not losing his job, so Mm -hmm. in theory, the seat really isn't that hot currently. Right. But next season assuming that we're back to a normal full-length season, that'll be a true test. We'll see who the non-conference games, if it's going to stick with the same schedule, how that's going to all work, who the heck knows. We've learned in 2020 not to assume anything going forward on scheduling and things like that, but we'll see going forward how it all turns out. And listen, if he can keep winning, then he will keep his job. That's the bottom line when it comes down to this. But Like you said, I think there may be a ceiling on how much winning can happen under Clay Helton. And so is that going to be enough to keep him around? That's a future thing. It's not going to be a 2020 thing. It'll be something that will be determined in the future. Mm -hmm. So again, you are listening to the Everything USC podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. If you enjoy listening to the show. Of course, subscribe and rate it wherever you find your podcasts. iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn. And the website is Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media, at Believe Podcast. For me, I'm on Twitter. You can catch up with me there, at Nara Wang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. My guest today, writer for Trojans Wire, part of the USA Today Sports network of websites, Andy Patton. Let everyone know where they can catch up with all the things you do.
0: You can find me on Twitter at Andy Patton PNW, and there's a lot, a lot of USC content, a lot of Pac-12 content, a lot of Seahawks, Mariners, Blazers. It's a hodgepodge. It's a lot of different sports things that you can find there, but give me a follow at Andy Patton PNW for all of that. What's up, everybody? Marcus Grant here from NFL
1: Network, and you are listening to the Everything USC podcast with my longtime friend, Nara Wang, on the Believe Podcast Network. See, I say longtime because it's better than saying old. And now it is time to take a look at the game coming up on Friday night, 5 o'clock, broadcast on Fox Television and on the USC Trojans Radio Network, the flagship station, of course, KABC 790 AM, here in. Los Angeles. It is going to be against the Oregon Ducks. Originally, the Pac-12 title game was supposed to be against the Washington Huskies, but due to their COVID-19 issues, it was announced on Monday that Oregon would be substituting in, and so you get USC Oregon, which is what the Pac-12 wanted from the very beginning. <laughs> they were just hoping it was going to be 6-0 and Oregon against 6-0 and USC, so that didn't quite materialize. The Ducks... Ended up 3-2 and two after they won their first three games and lost their last two, but they've been out for a little bit due to COVID issues. And, of course, Mario Cristobal now in his third year at Oregon, 24-9 and nine there with the Ducks. USC, of course, has the all-time series lead, but they've lost... Five of the last seven games in the series including last year's beatdown a 56 24 oregon win now, the trojans in that one led 10 zip at the end of the first quarter but then oregon goes on a 56 7 run <laughs> that included an interception and kickoff return touchdowns to embarrass usc at the coliseum justin herbert threw an early interception but rebounded to throw four td passes three of them to Juwan Johnson, and he also ran in a touchdown as well. So, USC is going to be looking to erase that memory with another game at home against the Ducks this season. It's going to be USC's third appearance in the Pac 12 title game. They lost to Stanford in 2015 and won in 2017 against Stanford. They are the only South Division team to ever win a Pac 12 title game. It'll be Oregon's fourth appearance in the championship for the Pac-12, and they've won their three previous times, 2011 against UCLA, 2014 against Arizona, and last season against Utah. The winner will clinch a spot in a New Year's Six Bowl game, likely the Fiesta, but could also be the Cotton or the Peach Bowl. And really, it's going to be a matter of both teams, if they play at their best, both can be high-powered both can have electrifying defensive players. We'll see what happens there. Who are you looking to talk about on the Oregon offense first of all, Andy?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the good news for USC fans who just had to, you know, relive that game that you mentioned uh, is that Justin Herbert and Juwan Johnson are not there anymore. That is <laughs> very true. Very helpful for them. They lost a lot of offensive firepower. Obviously, Tyler Shuck, I think, is kind of the most where the. Offense will hinge for Oregon. I obviously for the quarterback it always is, but Chuck has been. I think he's been a bit of a scapegoat in some ways for Oregon. They've blamed some of their performances on him, and he's had an up and down season. Like he's certainly not Herbert. He's not Mariota. He's not the quarterbacks that they've had in the past. And there's been kind of an unfair expectation that he'll step up and be that kind of guy. And he's just. I just don't think even at his best that he is that guy. <laughs> like to be perfectly honest, I think he's a good quarterback and a good Pac-12 quarterback, but not to quite the level that they've had in the past but i think for oregon you know they lost oregon state and they're like well it was because shuck had a bad game it's like no oh, it's because they gave up a whole they gave up 41 points to the beavers like that's the problem that couldn't that stop jamar happen. jefferson yeah exactly like yeah shuck threw two picks in that game and he wasn't at his best but i think that that's kind of the hinges are you going to get the tyler shuck who's gonna you know complete less than 55 percent of his passes like he did against cal Or are you going to get the guy who absolutely torched Washington State? Again, we know Washington State is torchable, for lack of a better word, because that's what Slovis and USC was able to do. But, I mean, Shuck was incredible in that game. 312 yards, four touchdowns, 70% completion rate. So he's just an up-and-down guy, and I think USC's defense definitely has the tools to really frustrate him. Obviously, the defensive backs we've seen from USC have had some great games. They really frustrated Dorian Thompson Robinson in the second half, obviously the two interceptions from Hufanga and Polamau were huge plays in that game. And so I think if they're able to really, you know, flush Shuck out of the pocket and make him use his legs and kind of, you know, play really tight defense on the receivers, obviously, I think it could be a really nice game for them because I think he's susceptible to the kind of game that would really allow, allow USC to really get to them and frustrate them throughout the game. Now, Oregon still scored a lot of points in virtually all of their games except against Cal, which Cal's very, very good defensively. So I think this game is going to come down primarily to how many points USC's offense can score and not necessarily how well the defense does. But I do think that Shuck is, you know, he's not Herbert and he's not the kind of quarterback that's unflappable. I think they can frustrate him and they can make it a, a good game, an easier game on themselves if they do that.
1: He does pose a bit of a threat running. He's a Mm -hmm. decent enough athlete, and we know USC has had some issues with the running quarterbacks Mm -hmm. this year, even with the non-running quarterbacks. They let Grant Gunnell of Arizona run all over him. So there's always that issue there, and there are a lot of weapons still. I mean, you got two good running backs, Travis Dye, who's a Mm -hmm. threat also in the receiving game, CJ Verdell, and then wide receivers, you have the senior, Jalen Redd, who leads the team with 20 catches. You got Johnny Johnson the 3rd who's got. 203 yards on 14 catches on the year. And then, of course, the transfer from USC,
0: Devin Mm -hmm. Williams,
1: who leads the team with 264 yards and leads the conference with over 20 yards per catch. So he's a dangerous guy. And, you know, he's going to be motivated to play against his former school. And, yeah, I mean, overall in the country, they have the 21st total ranked offense getting 467 yards a game they're 27th in scoring offense just over 34 points a game so they are still dangerous but you're right if you get good chuck then they're dangerous if you get bad chuck then maybe they can be had now on the Mm -hmm. other side of the ball with oregon's defense you got a couple of really good inside linebackers isaac slade mata utia who has 33 tackles to lead the team And then the freshman, Noah Sewell, whose older brother, Panay, the offensive lineman who opted out of the season, expected to be a top five pick in the upcoming NFL draft. He has 32 tackles, five of them for loss, a couple of sacks. He's forced to fumble. He's been really good as a true freshman. And sophomore defensive end Kayvon Thibodeau has five and a half tackles for loss to lead the team, a couple of sacks. He's a guy, that in the big recruiting wars came down to the SC and Oregon. He chose Oregon. So that's one of those things that's always a big deal there when you have these players from the Southern California area who have gone up to Oregon to play. They're going to be motivated big time there. What does USC's offense need to do to penetrate this Oregon defense, which has kind of been, by the numbers, middle of the pack?
0: Yeah, I think a huge issue for Oregon is that Thibodeau is the only good pass rusher that they have. They blitz some linebackers occasionally, and we you talk about the linebackers; they're very good. But unless they're blitzing, they haven't really established much of a pass rush this entire season. And so I think for Slovis, he obviously he's had his ups and downs this year, and some kind of you know early season struggles where he seemed to not be able to throw a spiral, which was strange. But outside of that, you know he's been very good. And when he has time in the pocket, he's extremely good. And the receiving core is obviously phenomenal with London and Vons and St. Brown and Brew McCoy and. I think that if the USC offensive line can give Slovis time to go through his checks to find his reads, then I think they're going to be okay. I think Oregon obviously has playmakers all throughout their defense. You know, I think their linebackers are their strength. I think their secondary is still solid. It's not great, you know, they've had really really good players in their secondary in years past. I think this secondary is not quite at that level. And I think as long as they can basically as long as they can stop Thibodeau from getting to Slovis, I think they're going to score a lot of points because I really think that this Oregon defense has playmakers, but they don't necessarily have a great team defense. And maybe that's a coaching issue. I know there's a lot of Ducks fans in my mention and other Oregon writers mentions that believe very strongly that it's a coaching issue and believe that the defensive coordinator needs to be on his way out. And I can understand why looking at this defense and the playmakers that they have and seeing the amount of points that they've given up this season, I can see why that's frustrating for Oregon fans. But I don't think that USC should look at this and be like, well, they gave up 40 points to Oregon State, so we're going to score 50. Like, There's still some work to be done, and there's still a lot of talented players on the other side of the ball. But I ultimately think that if Slovis can get time to get the ball out, that Oregon secondary just is not capable of matching up with the four great receivers that USC has. And obviously, the way that Slovis has played lately, outside of the few questionable interceptions that we've seen, if he's able to limit turnovers, I think that they're going to score a lot of points. They're going to score 40 plus points and that's still they're going to need to score that. I really think so because I think Oregon, like you said, especially if Shuck is is good Shuck, then I think that USC's offense probably needs to score 40 plus, but I think that's entirely doable in this game if they can give Slovis some time.
1: For me, I think a lot of this is going to come down on both sides to third down conversions. Oregon Mm -hmm. is 15th in the nation, converting 49.1% of their third downs. So SC is going to have to find a way to get Mm -hmm. them off the field. And then on the other side, SC has not been great on third down conversions most of the season. They've got to convert their third downs as well. So I think that's something to keep an eye on, how each Mm -hmm. team does on third down. And then the turnovers. SC, when they have struggled, usually it's because they commit turnovers. If they can cut the turnovers down and they can force turnovers, then that's going to be the big thing. Turnover margin and third downs is something I'm going to keep an eye on for this game, definitely. So we'll see how those turn out. But now it's time for us to put it on the line with our predictions. That's right, it is time to do the predictions segment. And before we get to our picks for this week, I'm going to recap what happened last week. One of my guests was Tim Brando of Fox Sports. The players we believed in last week, we both took a Drake. I took Jackson, who had five tackles and two and a half for loss and played really well in that game, was getting into the backfield a lot. Tim Brando took, of course, Drake London, who had five catches, 97 yards, and the two touchdowns. Again, because defensive players, sometimes you can't quantify everything with stats. I really thought Drake Jackson played really well, but I think... Drake London had a slightly better game, especially by getting two scores. So I'll give Tim the win on that one. In our game score, I had it as a closer game. I had it 31-29 USC. Tim went big. He had 51-45 USC. And because of the way it ended up, 43-38. Again, that's closer for Tim. So he will get the win there. And then on the prop bet, Nara's no doubter last week was that... There would be at least one touchdown by defense and or special teams in the game. And there would have been one by Talanoa (laughs) Hufanga, if not for a terrible block by Nick Figueroa that was so unnecessary and so blatant that wiped out that touchdown. So I don't get it. And Tim, he called his Tim Brando's rejection row block kicks because he thought USC would actually block two field goals in the game. Obviously, Ow. they did not get any blocks, although they almost came to the punt block there. They did harass the punter to force a turnover on downs on that early game situation there. So neither of us get our prop bet. So on the week, Tim Brando does defeat me 2-0. And so on the season now, I am a slim lead on my guess of 5-4 to four so far this season. So Andy, now it's between us. We begin, as always, with the players that we believe in. And I started off. And I am going to go with Tyler Vons. I think he really stepped up big in the last game against UCLA. I think he's got his confidence now after kind of maybe a little bit of a slower start to begin the season behind London and St. Brown. I think he's going to come up big in this one. So the player I believe in against Oregon is Tyler Vons. Andy, who
0: do you have? Well, I had two in case this happened. And one of mine was Tyler Vons for literally all of the reasons you listed. (laughs) So that's a great pick. I will take half credit if you end up getting that one correct. My other one, I'm going to go with Malapai. I think that USC is going to pass the ball a lot. So this is a bit of a riskier pick, but I do think that when they need to go to the run game, I think they're going to go to him a lot. We've seen him used a little bit out of the backfield as well. I think he could get a few receptions. At this point, I mean, Stephen Carr last game had seven carries for five yards. Marquis Step one carry for two. Keenan Christian, one carry for zero. There is not like a committee in USC's backfield anymore. It is Malapai. He is the running back. And I think that he it's entirely possible he falls his way into the end zone, has close to 80, 90, maybe even 100 yards again like he did last week. And I think that's probably enough, especially if Slovis continues to spread the ball around and you have a couple of receivers with the touchdown as opposed to one guy with five touchdowns or four touchdowns. I think there's a chance that Malapai comes out of this with a really, really strong line.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good pick because I think he has established himself as the top dog on the running back line. So the players we believe in, I'm going Tyler Vons, Andy going with Vavai Malapai. And now we pick our game score and winner. Andy, I'll let you go first on this one.
0: All right. I picked a game score of USC 42, Oregon 35 which I realized kind of afterwards I didn't do it intentionally, but is very similar to the score for the USC-UCLA game, which was 43-38. to 38. But I think it's going to be a shootout. I think we're going to see a lot of points. We kind of touched a little bit already on why. I think USC's defense is better and has been playing better. But I think that this Oregon offense just has so many playmakers. And if Shuck shows up at all, which he's gotten, you know, again, we've seen seen good and bad from him, but I think he's gotten some more games under his belt, and I think he's going to be really ready for this one with an extended break. So I think it's going to be a lot of points in this one. I don't know what the over is, but I would probably be smashing the yes button on, on the over for this game. But yeah, I'm going 42-35 for this one.
1: All right, and yes, the over is around 64, I believe, right now. Again, for Mm -hmm. entertainment purposes only, the USC is a consensus around three-point favorite right now as we record this on a Tuesday night, and so you've got them covering and getting the over. I've got the game right around the total points for the over-under, and I know I'm probably going to anger some people here, but... (laughs) USC, to me, has just been playing with fire all season with these fourth quarter comebacks, with the slow starts, except for the Washington State game, and I just don't think you can do that against Oregon, but I think it's going to happen. I think they're going to start slow, rally some, but I think they're going to be playing with fire just one too many times, and Mm -hmm. so, and again, as I always say when I do this, I hope I'm wrong, but I'm going to pick... Oregon to win 34-31, because I think they're going to jump out to a lead, and USC just doesn't have another miracle fourth quarter comeback in them after doing it so many times so far this season. So for the game score, I'm going 34-31 Oregon, Andy, you got 42-35 USC. I'm hoping you're going to win this one <laughs> for the week. And then now it's time for the entertaining prop bet, where we pick something that... Maybe crazy, maybe irrational, but we think it's going to happen. Just a random prop bet, and mine is called Nara's No Doubter, of course. And for this one, I think, and again, this is partly why I'm picking Oregon, I think USC is going to be less than 50% on third down conversions in Mm -hmm. the game. And I think that's going to play a big role into why they end up falling short in my prediction. Andy, what are you going to call your prop bet, and then what is it?
0: Yeah, so I'm going to call mine the General's Guarantee, because with the last name Patton, I was nicknamed the General by all of my coaches in every sport who thought they came up with it themselves, (laughs) even though it was not particularly original. My prediction is pretty far out there, but I think that we're going to see two touchdowns from tight end Eric Kramenhoek. And we've seen him, I think he, if I'm not mistaken, I think he only has one on the year. He might have two on the year, actually. But he's kind of steadily been used a little bit more. I think Oregon is going to do everything that they can to try to shut down Vons and St. Brown on the outside. And I think as long as Slovis has more time, if he's not getting rushed and he's not getting flushed out of the pocket, he's going to have some time. I think Heck could be open in the slant up the middle. And I think he might get targeted in the red zone because I think Oregon's really, really going to try their best to shut down those outside receivers. And I think this could be a game where he really pops in. Two touchdowns might be a tad bold, we want to go bold on these, and I think that would be something that I don't think is crazy. I think it could actually happen if he finds himself open in the middle of the field.
1: I love it. With the name like the General's Guarantee, you got to be bold. And (laughs) that is a bold pick with two TDs for tight end Eric Kromenhook. So again, to recap our predictions, beginning with the players we believe in, both going on the offensive side of the ball, I am picking wide receiver Tyler Vaughns. Andy Patton is going to go with the running back, Vavai Malapai. On the game score, I am hoping I am dead wrong with the (laughs) Oregon 34-31 pick. Andy taking USC 42-35. And in our prop bet, Nara's no doubter is that USC will fail to convert at least 50% of its third down conversion. And Andy's, sorry, the general's (laughs) guarantee is that two touchdowns are coming the way of eric Cromanhook. so those are some very interesting decisions by both of us i think and we'll <laughs> see how it plays out on this coming pac-12 title game on friday night so again you are listening to the everything usc podcast on the believe podcast network i'm naro wang my guest for this episode is a writer for trojans wire Andy Patton. And, of course, you can find this podcast wherever you get your favorite podcasts, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn, or more. Or you can go to the website Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media, at Believe Podcast. For me, I'm on Twitter. Catch up with me there, at Nara Wang Sports. That's N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Andy, where can everyone find you?
0: I am on Twitter at Andy Patton, P-A-T-T-O-N-P-N-W. So Andy Patton, P-N-W. How do you do, everyone? This is Pete Arbelgast, the voice of the USC Trojans. It's actual football season in 2020. Can you believe it? Believe it. See how I weave that in there? You're listening to the Everything USC Podcast with Nara Wang on the Believe Podcast Network.
1: And before we finish up the show, I want to also talk to you about the USC men's basketball team. Of course, they're in a bit of a pause right now. There was a confirmed case of COVID-19 in the program on Sunday that forced the postponement of that night's game against Stanford. And now the next three games have also been canceled or postponed. San Francisco and Texas Southern, the two non-conference games, outright canceled. And then the game at Corvallis against Oregon State in-conference has been postponed. Trying to find another date for that one. Team activities have been paused. So the next scheduled game is now New Year's Eve, December 31st, against Colorado. So far, 4-1 and one on the season with all non-conference games, the only loss being to UConn. Andy, how do you think the Trojans have looked so far in the five games they've played?
0: Yeah, you know, I follow... BYU fairly closely because I'm, uh, I'm actually a Gonzaga alumni. So I follow the WCC and their opponents quite closely. And I was really looking forward to that USC-BYU game because I thought that it was going to be like a pretty close game. And I thought the teams were fairly evenly matched. And USC looked great. They looked phenomenal in that game. That was excellent. You saw them take a step back against UConn. And we've seen some, even in some of their other games, they haven't played great But I'm really excited about where this team is right now. I think that some of the players that I wasn't quite sure how they would fit into this offense, namely the transfers, Drew Peterson, who found out he was eligible right before the year, and Taj Eady from Santa Clara. I wasn't sure exactly what we were going to see out of those guys. And they've been fantastic. They're the second and third leading scorers on this team, obviously behind freshman phenom Evan Mobley, who himself has looked like a top two pick in the NBA draft, which is where I think that he will end up. So it's been good to see... This team not just quite be the Evan Mobley show. Yeah, he's averaging 17 and a half points, but Peterson's averaging 12. Edie's averaging 11. Evan's brother Isaiah is at nine and a half. So they kind of have some balanced scoring, which is kind of not something I expected to see from this team. They've shot it really well from beyond the arc, 35% from three. I kind of wish they would take more threes. (laughs) They're not taking a lot per game. They're like 270th in the country in three point attempts per game. Obviously it's five games, so it's a very small sample size. But I think that this is a a good outside shooting team. I think the fact that Mobley can shoot threes is an exceptional advantage that this team has. And I'd like to see them really kind of stretch the floor and keep shooting threes. But having Drew Peterson, who's, I mean, he's been a revelation for this team. You know, he's averaging, like I said, 12 points, four and a half rebounds, two assists per game. He's shooting 55% from three, which is obviously otherworldly and certainly not going to hold up. But he's been fantastic. A really he just a kind of player that I think USC really needed in this offense. And I didn't think that they were going to have, which was going to be a bit of a problem. I was kind of thinking Noah Bauman would be that guy. And he's been pretty good. It's just been a much more reduced role, in part because of Peterson's eligibility. So I still think they have some issues at point guard. I think Ethan Anderson, you know, he's only played three of the team's five games and he hasn't shot exceptionally well. And he's averaging three assists per game, which is good, but he's also averaging, if I'm reading that correctly, 2.7 turnovers per game, which is problematic. That's been an issue for him in the past. So I think for them to really reach their potential, they're going to need him to take better care of the basketball. But I think the potential for this team is pretty high. I think they can be a top three, four team in the Pac-12, realistically. They just got to you know, get back on the floor. Obviously, missing games for a young team that hasn't really gotten an opportunity to gel together is unfortunate. You know, it's a product of this season in general. It's going to happen to lots of different teams and is kind of just something that we have to deal with. But I'm really encouraged by where this team is. They're in a better spot than I thought that they would be. And I'm very excited to see them for the rest of the year.
1: Yeah. I thought the two things going into the season were is Evan Mobley going to live up to the hype so mm-hmm. far? Check. And mm-hmm. then how are all these grad transfers who have come into the program, Peterson and Isaiah White, Chavez Goodwin, You know, Mm -hmm. Tajidi, are they going to be able to gel with the guys who are coming back? And I think so far it's been pretty good. You see White and Goodwin being really energy guys and getting some garbage buckets, you know, that are essential because you need someone to do some dirty work. Mm -hmm. And Evan Mobley, like I said, has lived up to expectations. Isaiah Mobley, you can see he's physically stronger. He still doesn't finish as well as I'd like, but he is getting a bunch of rebounds. So that's good. And Peterson, I think he's the guy who really does need to shoot more threes. He's a really Mm -hmm. good three-point shooter, and he seems to be, at times, trying to be a good teammate, I guess, by passing up some open looks, but I think he's got to shoot some more. I love Noah Bauman's stroke. I mean, that guy looks like a pure outside shooter, and he should probably Mm -hmm. shoot some more as well. So I'm with you. I think, at the end, if this team can continue to play really good defense, I think we know they can score. I'm not really worried about that, but when they play defense and they can throttle some teams, then I think they are a top three, four team in the Pac-12, which is going to get them into the NCAA tournament. As long as there is an NCAA tournament, again, (laughs) let's not speculate about anything going there. I'm just pretty sure that the NCAA can't afford to have another tournament canceled. Mm -hmm. So I think they're going to have one. But the thing I love most about Evan Mobley too, is that he is not forcing things. He's letting Mm -hmm. the game come to him. He's making the good decisions when it's, Time to pass it, he passes it. When it's time to take the shots, he takes the shots. And he's not just jacking up threes, he's going inside. He's mixing it all up, and he's doing it on the defensive end as well. I believe he has 15 blocks so far on the season, yeah. which is great in five games. So... I really like the way this team is coming together. I don't like the fact that the season's been put on pause now because like you said, with a team that has so many new parts to it, you want them to play and practice as much as possible and obviously they can't do that right now, but that's the reality of the year we're living in. So hopefully we'll see them get healthier and better as the season progresses and It would be exciting to see USC get into the tournament with a guy that you know is a one and done and maybe try and make a run, right?
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I think, you know, that we obviously were robbed of that last year with Nyeko Kongwu, not because this team wasn't tournament worthy, but just because there was not an NCAA tournament, obviously. But Mobley is going to be a guy who, I mean, he's going to be a one and done. He's going to be a top five pick, I think. And it won't really matter to the NBA scouts, whether he plays in the NCAA tournament, but it's just kind of a a way that we want the people to see him, you know? And I think that's a, an opportunity for him to really kind of like make himself on a big national stage instead of kind of being buried in the Pac-12. Looking at some of these numbers again, like Mobley's averaging three blocks per game. I think that would be like the 109th ranked team in the country in blocks per game. (laughs) It's just Mobley himself. He's been an absolute force on both sides of the ball. And I, Agree kind of what we both talked about with shooting more threes, particularly with Peterson. He's shooting 1.8 per game, whereas you have Bauman and Anderson and Max Agbancolo who are all shooting more threes per game than him. And that just shouldn't be the case. I think Peterson just needs to shoot the ball a little bit more. And so I'm hoping that we'll see that from this team. I'm hoping we'll see their free throw percentage come up because that's probably the biggest concern that I have about them right now is they're shooting 60.5% from the free throw line, but again, that may just be some sample size noise. But I think this team's absolutely an NCAA tournament team. I think they're, you know, they have the potential to be a four or a five seed if things really, really come together. I think that that's entirely realistic for this team, and I think that they they could do some damage. You know, I'm not ready to crown them a, a Final Four team or even an Elite Eight team necessarily. But whenever you have a freshman as talented and as hard to stop as Mobley, you can do some things. Like every team that does things in the NCAA tournament, particularly if they're lower seeds, they have a dude like that. And I think Mobley is the kind of guy who can be a catalyst for a team that that makes some real noise in, in the Pac-12 tournament and in the NCAA tournament. And I'm really hoping that, A, like you said, that it happens and then we get there, but B, that the USC puts themselves in a position to have a good seed and really do that damage because I think that they're capable of it.
1: Yeah. And listen, there are no Pac-12 teams in the current AP top 25. The only West Coast teams are Gonzaga at number one and then Mm -hmm. San Diego State. I mean, it is right now not good times for the Pac-12 when it comes to national recognition in basketball. So this is a chance for USC to try and maybe do something in what most are considering a down Pac-12 this season. So let's see if that can happen. But Andy, it's been great to talk Trojan sports with you.
0: Yeah, I really appreciate you having me on, man. This has been so much fun and love talking USC and bummed we won't get to see the basketball program for a couple of weeks, but excited about Friday's game. Should be a fun one.
1: All right. So for my guest, Andy Patton, I'm Nara Wang. Thanks for joining us for episode 19 of the Everything USC podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network the only place with the show for every team in L.A. and so much more. We believe in our teams, you believe, and as I end every show, please remember to fight on.
0: Thank you for listening to Believe.